0: Your teacher, that 23-year-old who's showing up and this is, might be her first real teaching gig, like she aspires to so much more than just getting paid to teach some piano lessons. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as school owners is, are we ready and willing to invest in other people and their personal growth and their journey as much as we're ready and willing to invest in our students, our music students, in the case of BMF, our families, and their personal growth and their journey. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the brooklyn music factory
1: and i'm daniel patterson founder of grow your music studio and we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school
0: so get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school
1: Hey there Daniel from GreatMusicStudio.com, and in this video I am talking with Nate Shaw from Brooklyn Music Factory and we're gonna have a what I think is going to be a very interesting discussion um, about his studio and some of the things that that we can uh, learn from a studio like BMS. Uh, so Nate, thanks uh, for talking with me. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Yeah, Maybe yeah. just start by, by uh, give me a little bit of background on Brooklyn Music Factory.
0: Sure. So we're a school in Brooklyn, New York. Um, A simple tagline: Inspire musicians, build community. Uh, We're eleven years into our journey. Uh, We currently serve well. We we will serve about an average of a thousand families a year through both our private lesson program, our group class program, and our camps. Um, We're primarily a pop and rock school uh, with what we call an ear before eye approach. So that means this we're very heavy into ear training, music theory, and at all, the students express themselves through songwriting. So yeah, the school has been uh, a total passion project for myself and my partner. Um, and it's just grown over the years. You know, we started literally in the space that I'm in right now. This is my basement studio in Brooklyn. We started here with 40 students, um, and we grew a band program, which then grew into sort of a group. We have a group piano program called Club Keyboard. From there, we started developing our games in an app called Big Music Games. Um, So that's an iOS app that now we have teachers and families around the world playing. From there, we started developing our own sort of learning management system, so that we could share all of our games with our families and our teachers um, really effortlessly. So all of a sudden, about five years ago, we we realized we were a software company, and so all of these things sort of like have been, um, you know, we've been building these things, Daniel, but with one very like simple focused purpose, which is just how do we use music uh, and that language to deepen connections and between people. And we started with families. We're just like, how can your family use music to build connections? And then from family to family, so our community room and, our, and our, all of our live events and all of the ways we try to bring people together just have a very basic purpose, which is to use music as a community building tool. And so it's funny because, you know, oftentimes when we get started as teachers and in this world, we think we're teaching lessons, you know, like, i.e., we're teaching the piano but I really think that if we look deeper, you know, deeper into our motivations and our inspiration, we will find actually that there's a different reason we show up every day. That music has been something really profound for us as teachers and as business owners, and for us, you know, uh, at Brooklyn Music Factory, you know, it's around community. It's around what can it do to try to uh, just connect people and build bridges where we need it to, and. So that's that's been the that's been the that's been the more important deep work. Yet along the way, we've had all thousands and thousands of musicians that have uh, launched their journey with us. So, yeah, it's a little bit about BMF.
1: Okay. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this video and, and really series of videos I think we're going to do together is when I first began growing music studio five years uh, well over five years ago now. Um as I shared my story of what I had done in my single teacher studio and the summer camp that I'd helped co-create and the you know larger, I'd say mid-sized studio that I was a marketing partner for, is that as I shared what had worked, what worked as I had those experiences and what didn't work, people were able to draw inspiration. Uh, possible action steps, like different things that came, that that I had gone through as I shared about them and shared my experiences, people were able to kind of model their studio mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. It was a very, so for example, this is a very small example. And then I want to kind of get back to you. and And really, the whole reason I'm even telling this part of the story is that five years ago, when I just started preaching about the benefits of Google ads, Mm -hmm. and I spoke to people about it. I actually had to convince teachers that it was something worth doing. I had this view of the world that was vastly different than a lot of other small to mid-sized studios. Like I had gone to the top of the mountain and brought something back down from it. Mm. And I had to convince people that isn't the case anymore. It is now such a present reality in, in at least in a lot of the music studio owner forums that I participate in or have, you know, monitor, like this is now just common thought. That wasn't yes. true five years ago. Yep. And so I think there is a little bit of mystery, especially for studios that aspire to be the size of studio that you are. Mm-hmm. There is mystery about how do you even get there? What are the obstacles along the way? Like what are the things that you had to overcome? Because at the lower level, what I'm very aware of is and all the coaching that I've done over the last five years, where literally we've now worked with over 600 studios, there is a familiarity that I have with the common problems. As you get up into the rarefied air of 300 students, 500 students, 800, 1,000, 1,000 plus, the resources just aren't there. Hmm. And the reason is, is that, it's a challenge to actually run an honest to God, true small business like a business outside of our industry would do. And so I think an interesting thing to focus on that I know about your story, and, and we'll get a little bit more as, as to why we know each other in a little bit. But I think an interesting thing for you to focus on here at the very beginning would be um, what, were, what were some of the experiences that you had? that mm. helped you build BMF to the size that it was. And, and I think you know where I'm going with this, but there's something very particular about the way that you educated yourself that's mm. very different than I think a lot of studio owners that, that are in the industry. So could you maybe give me a little bit of background about, you know, 2010, you had like under 100 students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40, 50, 50.
0: Yeah. What was that journey? Yeah, so it's a great question because I think there's no, there is absolutely a transformation for us, Daniel, as uh, teachers from viewing ourselves in this limited capacity, i.e., and it's not very limited because you and I both know, I mean, you're a pianist, I'm a pianist. I moved to New York as a jazz pianist when I was 25, I think. And, you know, that was a deep dive. Like I was deep into mastering that craft. And yet, when it came time to running a business, I still only viewed myself as a musician. You and I, I mean, we're, we're students. We're lifelong students. Like we wouldn't be studying an instrument if we weren't really dedicated and curious to understanding something at a deep level. We apply that to the craft of business and all of a sudden these doors that, that we didn't even know existed out there, we start recognizing there's a door there. Then we knock on it and we look behind it and we're like, oh, marketing and sales, there's a whole like incredible world, which is how you and I met through that specific, you know, sort of bucket of business. Then you go over here and you're like, Oh, when I promise, you know, in the case of Brooklyn music factory, we promise that there's a seven to 10 year journey that our families will go through a musical journey that will be truly transformative, you know? So how am I going to deliver that on that in year one through three? In year four to six, seven to 10, like, how can we guarantee that we can uh, deliver that what we promised? And so we start moving through the buckets of business. I call them the four buckets of business. So we begin to realize as um, studio owners or music school owners or whatever we aspire to in terms of our growth, we begin to realize that there's this whole new learning opportunity out there, right?
1: It's yes. And it strikes me that what you're talking about there, this idea, because I'd love for someone to watch this video Mm -hmm. and and leave us something tangible. And what's interesting is, even though we've kind of identified in in terms of this series of videos that we're going to do, that we want to unmask some of these things that that haven't really been talked about all that much. There is something there, though, I think that could apply to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. this idea and i'd love i'd love for someone to leave with something tangible from this video yep. so this idea of the 7 to 10 year journey maybe mm-hmm. tell me a little bit where did this concept come from and why do you think it's so important
0: yeah okay great so one of the first transformations to make this idea of running a business that i personally could believe in like developing a brooklyn music factory that you know my partner pierre and i could just say like yes This resonates with us. The first thing was to understand that we did have a very clear purpose in mind. When we thought about a student coming in, number one, we didn't look at that individual student. We looked at the student as part of a family. The second thing we said was, aha, what we're not looking for a one-and-done solution. We're not looking to just get through a checks and boxes, a method book, what have you, make some money off the student. And then focus on just finding more. Could we get more, 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 more? No, what we wanted to do was genuinely, we wanted to see a transformation in that family and how they viewed music in their life. And we knew from our own personal experience, right? You don't have to look externally, you start by looking inward to be like, how were you transformed by music? And for both my partner and I, we were like, oh, wait, it was a family affair. It was really important. For me, it was like, Every family reunion, what did we do? We gathered on the porch and we played together. For my partner, her sister was in like a really well-known punk band. So she always, like they were playing together. My brother and I jammed together. Like these things weren't just like, ah, coincidence. Nate played with his brother. Therefore, at age now 51, he's still playing. No, no, no. Those are the seeds of change in our life. So when we said seven to 10 year journey, we were like, you can't actually plant the seed fertilize the seed water the seed have it sprout in a family in a couple of years it doesn't work like that and by the way in our case our families didn't want that they're not like just looking to test the water families are coming and saying help me like show me the way to like having a profound change in my family via music like hmm. a lot of these parents when we do these sort of, you know, like intake interviews, you know, you, it's not a sales call, by the way, it's a discovery call with the parent. And many times I just ask the basic question, be like, hey, did you take piano lessons as a child? How do you think they answer, Daniel? They're like, yes. Are you still playing today? And they'd be like, no. Do you wish you were still playing today? And they're like, 100%. And they're like, so we are going to show you a path to changing that for your children. Okay, so I have a question for you. and Mm -hmm. I
1: know I might put you on the spot here a little bit, Mm -hmm. but what I feel like I'm hearing you say is that the mission of BMF is derived greatly from the personal experience that both you and Pira had with music Mm -hmm. that was very family-oriented. That might not necessarily be true for a school, irrespective of their size, They might be operating from different values, Mm -hmm. Um, or there might be someone out there who said, "I didn't even know that you could do things that way. I did just view it as, uh, you know, I'm selling lesson slots for my teachers."
0: Yes. So the question I have for you, where the rubber meets the road, yes. How?
1: how, Why do you feel that? Why do you feel that that contributed to BMF's success? And how can someone take the principle Mm -hmm. and apply it? To their thing. You know, it could be for them a very different set of values, yet they're still trying to create something that rich. So I'd love for you to identify what the underlying principle is, not necessarily what's connected directly to your story, and then how someone else could apply it to their school.
0: Yeah. Let me, like, so this is a great tangible, Daniel. Like, everybody watching this, if they can afford the time, by the way, we can afford the time, just push a couple of things out of the way, maybe a little less Netflix, a little more like growth time. <laughs> Not that I don't love myself to Netflix. Yeah. Hey, I'm with you. <laughs> but here's some very concrete steps. And just to clarify, if I were to walk into your studio, someone watching this, I would expect that your mission would be different. I would expect that your mission would be something really authentic for you. Right? Because the energy of your school and your space, your studio comes, uh, the, the, the quality of energy comes directly from the quality of your authenticity, how sincere you are in doing these, these steps. So number one, sit down with your journal. I don't have my journal right here, otherwise I'd show you mine. Um, sit down with your journal and begin to recount your musical journey. And so I love this. My brother gave me this exercise years ago, and I've been doing it with some consistency. It's sort of a pivot point or inflection point exercise. So what you do is you sit down and you write and you just basically say, what were the, who were the people in my musical life or what were the events in my musical life that had I not met them or had these events not happened, I would not be where I am today. So you're, you're moving through your musical journey. For example, for me, in 11th grade, no, here's, here's, I'll go further back. My mom, I vividly remember my mother buying me my first drum set. I was age 11. I can picture the house in Somerville, Massachusetts, a blue Ralston kit. The act of her taking me in our VW van to that house to buy the drum set, then taking me home, setting it up, was an inflection point because I had always been a piano student and between you and me, I didn't love my piano lessons, (laughs) but when I got a drum set, dude, all of a sudden, bing, I was like, wait a minute. This is the, this is the vehicle for me, which then of course, inspired deeper piano study because I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that it could feel this good. So that's an inflection point. Another inflection point for me was when I met Keith Danielle, my, uh, ap music harmony teacher in high school so nobody loves music theory except for i do and i partly loved it because that was the first teacher i had met that showed this level of joy and compassion for something that he just loved. like it was so clearly a passion for him and this dude had been teaching for a long time and so All of a sudden, the idea of like an upper neighbor, lower neighbor, analyzing a Mozart sonata, like it was like mind blowing. It was the most exciting like um, discoveries I'd ever had. And so that was an inflection point. So step one, write um, those people or events that were inflection points for you. Okay, step two, go back and review that. And when you review it, begin to ask yourself, hmm. Why was that so valuable to me? And why do I hold on to that memory in how I define who I am today? You know, as a musician, as an educator, for me, I just kept coming back when we were beginning Brooklyn Music Factory, I kept coming back to this question, Daniel, which was why of all of my friends, so many of them fell off and did not continue a career path of making music. Um, Why am I still playing? And the thing I kept coming back to was like, oh, it was always the communal social aspect of this Mm. art form. For me, so many of my memories, I, I was fortunate enough to get to tour the world playing as a jazz musician. But believe me, it's not like I was getting paid like great sums of money that were inspiring me to keep getting in the van and drive across the country. It was that I just really, valued the people I got to do it with. And I had as many memories of like the dinner after the show as I did the show itself. And so as we were developing Brooklyn Music Factory, I was like, wait, for us, the community room is the most important classroom we have. It's more important than the private lesson studio because that community room, by the way, is going to be where these kids like are truly motivated to dig in for another seven days and want to come back because they're connecting with all these other musicians. They're making friends. They're realizing they're not alone. It's very much like pros. I'm very much like being on a sports team, you know, Mm. like you just love the fact that you and your buddies are all getting together to kick the ball around. Do you care that much about your like refined soccer skills? Nowhere near as much as the fact that you're all making the hang Friday night at the game and then having pizza afterwards, you know, um so that exercise of asking the why around inflection points daniel is because you begin to sort of simmer it all down to the essence which is like oh yeah music for me is basically these one or two or three things and in my school or in my studio that is going to be front and center every day that i talk about our purpose or our our mission um So
1: What's that third step then?
0: Yeah, the third step, great question, is to then um, make sure that you lead with that, right? Mm -hmm. So you're leading with what your specific mission of your studio is. Ours is to inspire musicians and to build community. And when people are like, what do you mean inspire musicians? I mean, that sort of seems sort of cliche. It's like, oh no, well, we take a very specific approach. We're a game-based teaching approach. We're an ear before eye approach um, and we define it very simply. If your family, if your child is not super psyched to come back every week for a lesson, we're actually failing with that inspiration model, you know, and then the build community is very basic. We're just like, we don't do recitals. Not like there's anything wrong with recitals. We're not judging the recital. We're just saying for us, Everything needs to be collaborative. It's more important for me to see a whole bunch of parents and kids in a big African drum circle, like these suckers back here. It's more important for me to see them all gathering in a drum circle than it is to see my one student be able to execute on a sonata, Mm. right? That to me is actually a failure of our purpose. Mm. Like what I want to see is collaboration and connections happening. So the third step for you as a studio owner is to say, okay, for me, these one or two or three things are really the essence of who I am as a musician, an artist, an educator. And guess what? I'm going to put it front and center on my homepage. I'm going to lead every single sales call with that. I'm going to be unapologetic with what my purpose is. And yeah, that's, that's the third and final step is you just declare it.
1: Interesting. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates free resources and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast that's slash 7 fms and we look forward to answering your questions so mm-hmm. i bet we could probably do an entire video on all the different ways that your purpose works its way out into the way that you do things mm-hmm. and maybe that would be a good topic and you know i'll just kind of say this but if if that yeah. would be an interesting uh, uh, topic, you know, leave that in a comment below wherever you're watching this. But maybe we can end with this thought here. And I'd love for you to answer this question. Because um, going way back, maybe 10 minutes ago, there was a two part to that question. You've answered the first part, but here's the second. For the studio right now, struggling with keeping good teaching staff, mm-hmm. or for the studio right now, that is struggling to bring in enough leads each month? And, and hey, I, I'm not saying this is going to be an easy question. Okay. But I'd be curious to see where your, what, what your perspective is. But that exercise feels a little heady and in the clouds. Yes. How does that apply at the runway level mm-hmm. to, to the studio that has what they would identify as serious problems in some of those buckets of business that you talk about, which could be another good topic of, of, of a video that we talk about. So how does that, how do you see that playing out? Why, why is that so important to you?
0: Yeah. So it's a great question because, um, as school owners, as studio owners, as business owners, we're going to operate in at three, three levels. I think mm-hmm. Stephen Covey says this, um, I'm not sure where I got it, but I've applied it to every year of growth at Brooklyn Music Factory, which is, number one, we're going to be up at 30,000 feet. The level I was just describing, the exercise we were just doing, that's a 30,000 footer, right? Because only you can do it or only you and your partners can do it, right? You can't go to your teachers and say, what's our purpose? Because Mm. your teachers are looking for you to declare the purpose. To declare the values of which we show, with which we show up to teach, and uh, you know live by and work by each day when you're at your studio. So that's thirty thousand feet. Then you get down to ten thousand feet, and you start looking at the sort of jet buckets of business. I, you know, we'll talk about this in another video, but just I have sort of I think about it, and it was shared with me. So I'm not making this stuff up. These are all fell. These are all business coaches. These are all other friends of mine that run large businesses or small businesses that have shared these ideas with me. So I I think of it as four buckets of business. So at 10,000 feet, you ask yourself, hmm, okay, how am I applying this heady, these 30,000 foot ideas of purpose to each one of these buckets? Then we get down to the 1,000 foot level, which you're describing, which is like, I have a teacher who's, um, you know, late to her lessons. Right. How can I address? Yeah. Like, like that's a very real pain point that we all have. Like, how do we get our teachers to show up consistently or at Brooklyn Music Factory, communicate consistently with the families, with the staff, et cetera. So, and here's how this operates. Okay. Number one, when I say you declare what your purpose is, you declare what your values are. um, You then take that down to the thousand foot level and you begin to communicate with your teachers and your staff and yourself, by the way, we always start with ourselves around that purpose. And so let's say I have a teacher who's, you know, consistently showing up five minutes late to her first lesson of the day, you know? And it's obviously that's not a sustainable thing, right? This family is gonna drop eventually. They're gonna be like, wait, you're not respecting my time, da, da, da. This teacher just, you know, thinks they're busy, et cetera. They don't know why you go to that teacher and you say, okay, first of all, um, you and I are going to talk, I'm going to have what we call a performance review. Right. And it's not, this isn't like a, this isn't like, um, the boss looking down on you. This is, we're all in this together. Now, if our purpose is to inspire musicians and build community, and one of the key components of building community is building trust, right? People have to feel vulnerable and they'll only do that or be willing to be vulnerable. They'll only do that if they trust you and I. And so you can't build community without vulnerability. You just simply cannot. Like we, I need to turn to you, Daniel, and be like, I need help. That's a vulnerable moment. And then when you do what you naturally do, which is help me, aha, we're now starting to connect and commune, right? So you go to that teacher and you say, listen, how is it that we can possibly build community i.e., and start by building trust if they don't trust that you'll show up on time every, every Tuesday, right? And you just simply ask the question, if our purpose is this, how is it we can possibly realize that with you know, your student if they don't trust that you're going to show up consistently? You just lay that question out there. Yeah, follow up with that. And, but that's one of the very most important first steps.
1: So what I, what I, what is going through my head right now is that, (laughs) because I'm a business coach, right? Yeah. yeah. And the level of question that I get all the time is, Hey, I have this problem. How do I fix it? Mm -hmm. As if there is a tactic. So, the level of question i get is hey how do i get my teachers to stop showing up late all the time mm-hmm. and you know and i could address the question at that level mm-hmm. of well you know well here's some ideas H- you know here's some things that you can do and here's how you can m- manipulate or apply pressure i think the subtle thing and it's so easy to miss mm-hmm. what you're saying here and i think if people aren't careful they could hear this and be like well uh, what what can i do with what nate just said yes but here's what i hear Um, And it goes back to a principle I learned from an older mentor of mine when he said, you don't have a healthy lawn by pulling weeds. Mm. You have a healthy lawn by growing green grass, by growing healthy grass. And what you're talking about is growing, because the conversation you have to have with that person, the, the strength of character you have to have to deliver that with levity, but also seriousness, To be, you know, the the the, you can't be showing up with ego. Like what you're talking about is a much more holistic approach. Where if you're thinking at those, at that big picture level, the runway level stuff tends to take care of itself. And a lot of times when I'm working with folks, and and I'll I'll shut up after this, but a lot of times when I'm working with folks, I ask a lot of questions, and we can usually pinpoint there are deep underlying issues that cause folks to have these kinds of problems. Um, I think I think of a, of a studio I worked with a number of years ago where she basically had a full-scale mutiny on her hands. She had some of the highest mm. paid teachers mm-hmm. in, in the uh, city and they were still very unhappy with her. And as we dug in to the underlying causes, um, she was extremely stressed out by the situation, resenting those teachers deep down. Yes. And then as a result, was showing up as a very very different person we worked together for you know a, a half year when I met her she was literally she didn't want to sell the business she, she we're wanted talking to give it hundred students <laughs> she just wanted to shut it down She's yes, like i can't totally. sleep at night a yeah. year later she had grown by a hundred students mm-hmm. or nearly a hundred students um, had a full-time studio manager working for her mm-hmm. and because we had dealt with these more internal things she was able to show up as a very very different person and it took some work and there was some stretching and growing pains but what I think I hear you saying and correct me if I'm wrong is that it's this idea of thinking from the big picture and moving out when you solve those big picture problems these lower level problems tend to go away and there's something you can point to outside of yourself other than hey I don't want you showing up late you're actually showing up with This is the purpose. This is why we're here. This is why all this exists. And this is what we, it it calls something, it calls people to something greater than themselves, which I think is so necessary in this technological age in which we live, where everything is so fractured in this idea of community, especially given the year we've just been through, this idea of community is almost like this distant memory or dream or or almost idealistic thing that almost doesn't even seem real.
0: Well, and we can, we should do a whole nother video on this extending out, Daniel, this conversation, how you develop from I'm showing up five minutes late to I'm showing up five minutes early. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's the reality. That's the outcome we want. Um, But you said something that's so, so important when you you gave your uh, lawn analogy, which is that, and this was a pivot point for me in my growth as a business owner, is that, I was like, I kept asking myself, why is it so easy for me to show up for my students and so difficult for me to show up for my staff? Hmm. And I was like, I love, you know, like we, you know, we, we, as we sort of like open our heart and, our, and we, we're just trying to figure out how to be who we are. Like when I was sitting across, you know, teaching an eight-year-old student and she's writing a song about snakes, I'm like, Oh man, it's just amazing. It's fully where I'm supposed to be. Right. But then when I was having the one on one check in with that teacher, I felt um, I would feel like I wasn't being authentic. And so one of the things that transitioned for me to get me from a space of, I consider it like, um, you know, um, we, when we start our studio, we operate from a space of like, as you put it, manipulation, like, can we just pay more and they'll start showing up on time. Can we reprimand them and they'll start showing up on time. Can we fire a teacher? And then when everybody else will be like, Oh no, Nate just fired a teacher. I better start showing up on time. It's sort of like the stick approach. I kind of like carrot and stick, carrot and stick. Um, and, the, and, and that approach I think is gonna continue to bring about that, those sleepless nights you're describing from that Atlanta school owner, right? It's this idea that somehow I can manipulate the situation when in fact, the realization for me was, wait a minute, I love to teach this eight-year-old, I can take that same uh, authentic desire and help grow these adult teachers and staff in my organization, Mm. right? And apply that same genuine desire to see this you know this teacher that might be just starting out on her journey and really like putting together some life skills in addition to her craft as a teacher in addition to learning how to be a really um, uh, a, a valuable part of a community as an employee and as someone who enriches the entire community rather than just showing up to do the job so When you begin to address each one of your teachers and each one of your staff as an opportunity for you to benefit them in their personal growth, you are going to see a radical transformation in the commitment from your your employees, okay? Because you said it perfectly, dude, we never just show up for the check. And by the way, if I'm just showing up for the check, it's a pretty good sign that I shouldn't be showing up. I mean, it's it's like just ask yourself the last time you showed up just for the dollars and you'll be like, hmm, I probably wasn't the best person for the gig. You know, and so like your teacher, that 23 year old who's showing up and this is might be her first real teaching gig, like she aspires to so much more than just getting paid to teach some piano lessons. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as school owners is, are we ready and willing to invest in other people and their personal growth and their journey as much as we're ready and willing to invest in our students, our music students, in the case of BMF, our families and their personal growth and their journey. And so that's sort of like still kind of going 30,000 and then zooming down to 1,000, right? And, and a lot of the work that you and I will do in, these, um, in this video series, I think, is we'll begin to unpack some of the basic uh, tools we can use as school owners to really sort of set ourselves up for long-term success um, and just understand how to implement those tools. First of all, understand that their tools exist. Second of all, being like, okay, let me just implement one or two of these to start. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.